Hello and welcome to The Mastering Show. My name's Ian Shepherd. I'm a mastering engineer and I run the production advice website, uh, helping you get better results recording, mixing and mastering your music. And with me again this week is my co-host, John Tidy. Hi, John. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. Hello, everyone. Also this week, we have a guest mastering engineer, Katie Tavini. Thanks for being here. You're in London right now, but you come from Manchester. Is that right? You just moved up to London recently? Yeah, I moved on the 1st of January to London. Had a hangover on the train. But yeah, it's all good in London. And that's because you've started a new job uh, with a, a secret company that we can't talk about, but you're transferring lots of analogue tape, I believe. I am indeed, yes. And how are you finding it? Are you enjoying it or tearing your hair out? I'm really enjoying um, working on analogue formats, actually. It's very different to what um, I've done previously. It's been a big learning curve, a huge learning curve. Had you had experience using analogue stuff before? Mm, not really, you know. Um, done, you know, recorded a little bit to tape when I was, um, I, used, I started out as a recording engineer producer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we'd recorded a little bit to tape and we didn't really know what we were doing. <laughs> it was all a fun experiment, but... Um, yeah, so this is, it was kind of thrown in at the deep end, but I love it. It's great. It's so fascinating. Have you got like a kind of vast array of different machines or are you just have kind of one master machine that you're using most of the time or you've got multiple formats? What's the... In my studio where I transfer, I have four studios, um, quarter inch and they are, um, I think three and three quarters to 15 ips. And then um, we bring in, um, so say if we have any slow speeds or quarter tracks, we'll bring in machines specially for that. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, sometimes you do get the odd one, but the majority of the work that I do is on um, just stereo quarter track, which is great. Cool. I, I always enjoy using analog tape machines that just because of the engineering, just because of the quality of that, you know, they're just beautiful things. They're made to a standard that <laughs> you don't find that much these days. Um, I mean, that's a horribly really nerdy are. thing to say, I guess, but, um, and, but there are then people who are on a whole other level from me. I remember um, Bob Ludwig saying that he has, not only does he have multiple tape machines, but he has multiple playback heads that he will bring in to get the best results out of whatever tape he happens to be playing, which is kind of, as far as I'm concerned, a whole other level of, you know, you know, we would align the machines and all that kind of stuff, but make sure they were well-maintained. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a, there's a kind of a rabbit hole that you can, seems like you can go down forever if you want to. Absolutely. I, I jumped ahead of myself. So, cause I was going to ask you just to kind of give us an idea how you got into audio and how you especially got into mastering. Um, because, you know, I think one of the reasons I was keen to have you on as a guest is I think, um, you're at you're an earlier stage in your career than me, um, and I remember I've seen you making jokes about mastering engineers traditionally being uh, sixty years old, um, and uh, <laughs> I think maybe slightly straight laced. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought it'd be interesting to get a different perspective um, from someone like you. So, can you just tell us a bit about how you got into it? Yeah, so um, I sort of always knew I wanted to do something with music, you know. Um, Really from an early age, my dad had quite a big record collection and I spent a lot of time in Italy growing up 
and there wasn't a lot to do. We used to listen to records and that sort of stuff. And um, I was absolutely fascinated. There's this um, on the album Seven by James, there's Hockling on Brass and um, that Hockling is actually panned as well. And not only is it a fantastic arrangement, but I was like, whoa, noise comes out of one speaker and then the other. And then I kind of, I was fascinated um, by different elements of the mix coming through in different places. And then I found the <laughs> the little EQ buttons on the front, you know, and was just messing around and was just kind of fascinated with how you could sort of manipulate sound. Mm-hmm. I was probably about six at the time. Um, and then um, I saw these kids in my primary school playing violin um, in an assembly. And I was like, this is the most disgusting sound in the world. I want to make people feel as uncomfortable as they're making me feel. <laughs> and so <laughs> I begged my parents for a violin um, and eventually they caved in. I've now played violin for about 20 years. I actually did the first year in acoustics degree at uni, but I dropped off because I was the only girl out of 120 boys and that was no fun. Um, but I learned a lot in that year and I did learn how to make a room sound good. I did my degree, um, mainly in violin and performance and arrangement there was a tiny little um recording module on our degree course and I recently spent all of my time in the studio I didn't want to be a performer I was only doing that because I didn't really know what else to do because mm. I, I didn't know how to get into recording or engineering um but I was just saying to all my course mates you know let me record you come into the studios let me record you and everyone else on my course was also performer, but they wanted to be a performer and I wanted to be an engineer. So I practiced and practiced on all of my course mates and stuff. And it was great for them because they got recording. It was great for me because they got practice. Um, and I was basically there all the time. And one day, probably somewhere in my third year, just before graduation, my <laughs> one of my tutors came up to me and said, Katie, you're always, you're always here. You never go home. <laughs> I've been offered a job in a studio, but I can't take it. Do you want it? And I thought, yeah, that, that's really cool. You know, if it's making a cup of tea, I don't mind. Mm-hmm. That's fine. If I'm fetching something, whatevs. But, you know, it turned out to be a really great job. And I stayed at that studio for quite a long time, learned as much as I possibly could. And yeah, they kind of gave me the best start I could have ever hoped for. So that was pretty amazing. Mm. That was recording and producing, was it? Yes, it was recording at first, engineering, a bit of tape hopping. And then um, eventually I started to take on a bit of free work, like freelance work, started producing because most bands couldn't afford to hire a producer. So you sort of, as an engineer, automatically fall into that role. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it um, it was really interesting. I learned so much, you know, you... As a recording engineer, you work with so many different people and that's that's really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. It's and it's interesting to hear you say that it was the the stereo aspect of of that recording that that kind of got you fascinated by sound because I had the sound, I, I wasn't that young. I I was 10, <laughs> but it was it was the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy on Radio 4 for okay. me with, with the spaceships flying around in stereo. Um Nice. John, do you 
do you remember when it was you were first interested in sound as opposed to music or is it actually just music for you and sound is kind of because that's the way you get music recorded hmm i i haven't really thought about it recently i i kind of know how i got into production and engineering but as far as like just loving all aspects of sound and i'm not sure really sure probably probably from a very early age i wanted to play guitar for like forever and i didn't get to until i was in junior high but i got into engineering when um, my band wanted to record and it just was always going miserably because no one had any clue of how to do it we had some equipment that had some microphones but it's just miserable process <laughs> and i ended up going to school for it and now i've only like recorded three of my own songs <laughs> since then <laughs> in the last 10 years but yeah but i just you know i've always been interested in sound and and music and not so much as a performer but but yeah just you know i, I love the technical aspects of it yeah, well, and I saw you on Facebook the other day recording what seemed to be a cardboard box full of something. Full of trash. <laughs> and it, and it, it sounds like a car accident. I love it. That's amazing. There you go. See, that's the, I, see I remember at college, just uh, we had one of the very first portable DAT machines. Um, that's a digital audio tape machine, listeners. Um, it's, uh, it records audio to tape, but digitally. Um, my mate Ben and I wanted to take it out to the crowded street somewhere with just a stereo mic and just record people going past. And at some point we kind of looked at each other and go, why do we want to do this? It's just because it's fun. And I don't know where that fascination with recording sound comes from. Anyway. Yeah. Anywhere I go, I usually bring a, a field recorder with me. So I, on the weekend I was at a beach and like, you know, well, most people would enjoy a beach by like digging in the sand and stuff like that. I just sit and hold my breath and just listen to the waves. Yep. Yep. I've, I've done that. Uh, but then I always have problems with wind noise on the microphone. So I get you probably have For sure. fluffy things that keep the wind out. A spoffle. A spoffle. Right. <laughs> that may be the one thing I've learned from you. <laughs> spoffle. There you go. Well, I learned it from my friend, uh, Andrew Lang. So, you know, it's, we're just passing the beacon of knowledge on. Um, Katie, it's interesting to hear that you had a classical background because I grew up playing, uh, and well... I was listening to all kinds of stuff, but I, I played trombone. And if you play trombone, it's either jazz or classical. And classical was what I was into. Um, and I'm finding it's quite a common trend amongst mastering engineers. The more people I talk to, the more kind of at some point let slip that actually they know a hell of a lot or something about classical music. And I don't know whether that's that's just the people I bump into or whether that's a, the trend or not, or whether there's anything about the the classical mindset that maybe helps in mastering? You think anything, anything in that? Oh, I don't know. Um, classical music definitely um, made me appreciate dynamics and the arrangement and structure of music. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I did a lot of studying of music theory and stuff, which it does help, you know, it helps when you're mastering because you can communicate more easily with your client if you mm. know the terminology and um, how to get across. So what I do a lot of the time is if something isn't sitting right in the mix, instead of me trying to fix it in mastering, just get them to change the mix. Mm -hmm. It makes the whole product sound so much better. But you need to be able to communicate that first. And uh, yeah, having a classical music background has definitely helped me with that, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's the same for me. I, 
things like hearing tuning is really, really important in classical music. I mean, I think it's important in pop and rock music as well, even if you're actually not necessarily trying to be in tune. But I think the the ability to kind of the discernment of, oh, maybe that's slightly sharp or flat, all of that kind of stuff can be useful. And I also think for me as well, the just hearing acoustic music, you know, in a in a room, in a space, um, rather than say going straight to hearing something out of an amp is is kind of helpful because it gives you that kind of, you know, that quest, if you like, to capture the the environment and the the atmosphere of something as well as just the notes. It's interesting. John, I don't think you you're not classical, are you? No, I'm not. Um to me, classical almost seems like a European thing. <laughs> uh, I, when I think of England, I think of classical music. <laughs> and cups of tea, I hope. But classical music isn't quite as big in North America, or at least the parts of North America I grew up in. I, uh, that's interesting. I, I wonder whether that's that's true. I mean, one of the engineers that I was thinking of was Bob Ludwig, who I got into a huge conversation with about Benjamin Britten, who's one of my favorite classical composers. Um, and it turns out that he has remastered some of the original recordings of, of his stuff. Um, so there's at least one North American. Who's, no, I, <laughs> there are plenty. It's, I don't, I don't think it matters. It's all about a love of music and a love of sound, but it is, it's, it's interesting to kind of follow these little threads sometimes. So Katie, how did you transition into mastering? Um, because I mean, I, I was kind of, my route in was slightly unconventional in that I basically started as a mastering engineer, whereas most people kind of seem to come to it from doing something else. And so I was trained up as well. Um, whereas I think I'm right in saying that you kind of at some point just decided that this was going to something you were going to get into. Is that right? Kind of, kind of not. It was, um, it was not intentional. Um, I had always thought I would stick with engineering. I didn't really love producing. It was more of a necessity in order to get work. Um, because a lot of bands I was working with didn't want to hire a separate producer. Mm-hmm. One thing about my engineering though my mixes are shit, like actually terrible. Um, I am just not good at mixing. And so one day I went on a forum or a Facebook group or something, I can't remember which, and I said, hey, how do I improve my mixes? I've tried all of the mixing techniques I can think of. I've practiced really hard. I've watched loads of YouTube tutorials. I've read loads of articles, but my mixes just aren't getting better. And I don't know if this is good advice or not, but someone said, uh, learn how to master. I guess it kind of makes sense because you've got the finished product in mind when you're mixing, if you do learn how to master. Mm -hmm. But um, when, when I was doing it, I just thought this makes so much sense. So what I used to do was um, take all of my tracks home that had been produced either in the studio or on location or whatever try and master them and then when the the masters came back from the pro i'd kind of compare the two and see how i could get mine to match up more with theirs all right um so probably a long-winded way of doing things but once i started mastering stuff i just realized actually i enjoy finishing things (laughs) i don't enjoy being in the middle of things that's really stressful um whereas mastering's not and the approach to processing the audio for me just made so much more sense. Um, I'm a very musical person and 
I don't like the creative options. I think possibly because of my classical background, but I like being able to shape the music and have input with a bit of EQ or something to me makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. I started, you know, just practicing and going, oh, actually I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of getting there with mastering, still can't mix, (laughs) but my masters are sounding better. And then one day this guy called James, who I didn't really know him at the time. We had some mutual friends in common on Facebook. He sent me a message. Um, he was like, Hey, um, can, can you master an EP for me? And I said, yeah, go on then. <laughs> I was sat in my studio after a day at work and, um, you know, I'd, I'd just been doing a day's work editing or something and I was quite restless after that editing. I'm not great at it and it tends to stress me out. Mm-hmm. So I was sat there listening to some music and he messaged me and I said, yeah, why not? Send it me now. I'll have it a go, but don't use it if it's rubbish. So he said, yeah, of course. Um, I did it. I spent <laughs> spent about two days on it, <laughs> on one EP, which now to me is bonkers, but, you know. No, that's, I was, that's uh, how it is when you start out. Yeah, I was um, kind of determined to get it right, but also a little bit worried that I'd be sending something that was rubbish. And um, sent it to him and he said, this is great. Let me use it. So I was like, okay, great. And then... The next thing I knew, he sends me his own band's album, which mm-hmm. was the Sonic Boom 6 um, self-titled album, which did amazingly in punk circles. Um, and off the back of that, I got more work, mainly from punk guys. And it, yeah, it just kind of happened very naturally, which is really nice. You know, I, I, I'm not a business person. Um so for work to come in because people have liked my work rather than me going, give me work. Mm. Um, <laughs> that's really nice. That's, that's a lot better. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't want to hassle people for work, you know? Um, so to have it kind of come in slowly so I could get my head around it and practice, it was really nice. So that's kind of how the transition was made. And then one day I thought, you know what, I'm getting so much mastering work and no or not as much engineering work, maybe I should just do mastering. Mm-hmm. So I did. Cool. And were there any, How? where did you get your information about what mastering was and what you were, I mean, in inverted commas, supposed to be, be doing? Was there, were there online resources or did you talk to other mastering engineers? What did you do to figure that out? <laughs> well, I don't want to boost your ego too much, Ian, but actually I was looking for production advice and I (laughs) typed production advice into Google and you showed up. (laughs) So yeah, you and of course, Bob Katz's book and a few YouTube tutorials, but mainly I I tend to kind of, I don't know, just have a go and see if it sounds good. That's sort of my approach to life. Yeah. So that's yeah. cool. And, and that means that my cunning plan worked, which was to have a website about mastering that was called something that was nothing to do with mastering. So I, I lured you. <laughs> that <laughs> you wasn't, really did. That wasn't really a plan. That was, that's one of those things you would change if you were, could go back in time and fix it. But it worked for you. So that's good. So I'm pleased about that. Absolutely. <laughs> Ian, what would you call your site now if you had the chance to change it without losing everything? Huh. Losing your progress. Interesting question. No, I don't have an interesting answer for that. 
I mean, I, the masterclass is on homemastering.com. Um, and I think given that a lot of, you know, there's kind of a split in terms of the people who, who come to the website. It, there's uh, some, some of it is just people who are interested in the, like the loudness wars and, and all of those kind of topics without necessarily being interested in doing mastering themselves. Um, but I think maybe the majority are people who are interested in, in recording and producing and mixing and mastering music. So I think maybe calling it just using homemastering.com would make sense. Um, and I mean, maybe one of these days I'll transition over, but it's, it's one of those things every so often people kind of come to me and say, Oh, I'm thinking of setting up this website and I don't know whether to go for this name or the other name. And I always say to them, it doesn't matter <laughs> because look, my website <laughs> has nothing to do with what I'm talking about most of the time these days. Um, and it hasn't, hasn't hurt me too much. So, um, I, I'm open to suggestions though. If anybody wants to tell me how I should rebrand myself, um, send me a message. Let me know. I'm always looking for, <laughs> for good ideas. <laughs> Now that's really cool, Katie, because I think um, it is. I I sent out an email today um, telling people about uh, the new videos I've done, the home mastering compression videos that I'm just releasing. And um, I writing this email, I used the word the phrase "dark art," and then I I, I had to. Well, then I put in brackets. It's not really a dark art, which you know <laughs> if you read my website, but it sounds good. But I think there still is this kind of perception that there's something mysterious or, you know, and, and maybe people feel that they they can't get into mastering or that maybe what they're doing is not mastering. But at the end of the day, it is just what you're saying, which is making stuff sound good by hook or by crook. So, you know, I think it's really, uh, you know, inspiring that you can have a go, find that you're good at it and, <laughs> and end up making a career of it. You know, I mean, that's... That's great. I think, you know, that's, that's a really cool thing for people to hear. The most common question I get asked is how, how do I become a mastering engineer? And I'm like, well, just do it, you know, just start, just, just do it. Find a band, <laughs> just do it. There's, there's now, no, I don't know. You don't have to, you don't have to have a studio with a million pounds worth of gear in anymore. Like plugins are incredible. So this, this guy who, um, who I met, he um, he was doing a, a like a blind test for some research between um, a Lexicon Reverb unit and the the UA plugin equivalent. I'll tell you what, I did guess which was the hardware unit for both the examples, but that was close. Mm -hmm. Plugins are incredible right now. You know, as long as your monitoring's cool, you don't need a posh studio really. Yeah, no, I agree. That's a bold claim, but you know, <laughs> it's kind of true. You've got guys mastering from their bedrooms who are making incredible music and you know, it sounds good. I completely agree. And although I, I mean, I'll be honest, I am torn because I do see people out there saying I'm a mastering engineer. And I look at them, I kind of go, what's your qualification for that? How do, how do you, <laughs> you know, as somebody who kind of did the traditional thing of going through, you know, working my way, well, I don't work my way up exactly, but at least, you know, I was employed by a mastering studio and trained and all the rest of it. But I think as time goes on, I kind of, I think maybe I just have to kind of get a grip and let go of that attitude because it, I mean, I say it all the time about recording and mixing, you know, I mean, literally some of the best recordings I've ever worked on have come from people in bedrooms and some of the worst sounding stuff I've ever worked on has come from, quotes, professional studios. Um, you know, if it's true in recording and mixing, why shouldn't it be true in mastering? And I mean, you know, this little room that I'm recording, this in here is not a mastering studio, but 
I can hear a, an amazing amount of stuff on the, the, you know, I've got some acoustic treatment and I've got decent monitors and I know the room really well. So yeah, I, I, I think I do agree with you. It's so I, yeah, I just need to chill out maybe when I see people <laughs> on saying. On the other hand though, like from someone who's come from a completely self-taught direction, I'd love to go and learn from a professional, you know, like, I think that'd be really fascinating. Even if all it did was kind of solidify what I'm doing now, then yeah, I think it'd be really cool. You're really lucky to have that, um, have had that introduction to mastering. No, I am. Absolutely. And I mean, and, and it's one of the motivations for, for doing the podcast and, and for putting the website, to be honest, is that I know that those opportunities are becoming fewer and f- further between, you know, as time goes on, it's harder mm. and harder. I mean, I have people... Uh, contact me asking if they can be an intern or, you know, come and watch me work or something. So I have to say, I'm really sorry. I'm just not set up to be able to do that. Um, So, and there are places where you can still work as an intern, uh, you know, and that kind of stuff. But yeah, every day the opportunities get uh, fewer, which is a real shame. There's a huge pool of knowledge there and that's how it all used to be passed on. Although, I mean, that raises another interesting thing. I mean, you mentioned that you dropped out of the acoustics course because you were the only woman um, yes. on the course. Um, and I have heard people say that it's even harder to get a job as an intern in the industry if you're female. Um, and I'm, I know this is something you've talked about, um, you know, kind of on other podcasts and, and I've read things that you've written on this topic. How do you find it in the industry now? Do you think it's changing? Is it improving or is there still an extra kind of barrier of entry for women? Um, oh, well, <laughs> I don't know where to start really. So my experience has been okay. It's not been great, but it's been okay. Um, as a recording engineer, my experience was a lot worse. Um, I had people hiring me literally just so that they could try it on. <laughs> and you know that that's not just like little boy engineers who don't really know anything and who are in it for a joke that's you know serious proper engineers which is awful that's horrendous and yeah it's uh never happened to me in manchester it was always in different places in the uk so Hmm. you know i love my hometown (laughs) (laughs) and that's another reason why so yeah, as a as a recording engineer, and I had some bad experiences just being taken seriously on sessions. You know, um, my first um, sort of high profile client that I was engineering for, it turned up, introduced myself as the engineer. You know, told them to make themselves at home, um, and I got, "You're not an engineer, you're a girl." Okay, so I look really young for my age, but it doesn't stop me being an engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was a lot harder recording. I think now I'm mastering, I don't do attended sessions and people choose to send work my way. I do never hassle people. Um, I don't approach people. I don't go out of my way to do any of that. So people are making a conscious decision to send me work. I don't know whether I get more work than a man or not. Um, but yeah, as a mastering engineer, it's, it's been a lot better. I think things are changing for sure. In January 2017, 
I got a phone call from Brendan from Red Bull Studios and he basically asked me to host an engineering workshop each month just for women. And there's also a production and a DJ workshop happening at the same time. And I thought, this is great. This is so good. Mm. But it was better than good because if he had not phoned me, I would have given up mastering within the month I'm pretty certain yeah not because anything specifically I just really felt like my career wasn't going anywhere um you know change is always good Mm -hmm. and I'd done a you know I'd done a few things but was thinking you know maybe it's not for me you know not not a lot is happening and so he phoned me and it literally just changed my life. And I know it changed the lives of a lot of other people. But having Red Bull, you know, we're still running this event each month now. Um, having Red Bull kind of putting money and time and resources behind women in the music industry has made a huge difference. So about 50% of my clients now are from, or the female producers, female artists, which is incredible. That's fantastic. Yeah. What was it about the, was it just being, kind of being able to be part of a community? Was it feeling less isolated that made you change your mind about sticking out? I think it really was. So I, um, <laughs> I know there's a lot of engineers now are going to be listening to this. There's this thing in, um, in the music industry that's very snobby towards people who have secondary jobs to their engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost, you know, oh, if you've got a, got a job on the side, then you're not a real engineer, but you know what? I went out and actively sought out a marketing job so that I would learn how to market myself as an engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also started working at an audio school as an engineer part-time, literally just because mastering is lonely. So, um, I was one of... I want to say about like eight or nine engineers there. I was the only female and one out of the three years I was engineering there, one um, incredible mix engineer entrusted me to master his songs. Everyone else collaborated with each other. They were all very involved um, and it was very much a boys club. So Going from, oh, I'm really lonely as a mastering engineer, let me try and find some sort of community to, you know, get involved with, to also being an outsider in that community is hard, you know. Mm. Um, there's this, oh, maybe maybe it's the same when a large group of girls get together. I don't know because I'm female. But when um, when there's a large group of men together and they're talking about something they're really passionate about, they're intimidating. I don't want to get involved. And so, um, yeah, I think that's why I definitely felt like an outcast. But doing the normal Not Novelty events has given me a massive network of women who are exactly the same position. And we've really bonded and we've made friends for life. It's incredible. That's really good to hear. We'll put a link to that in the show notes on themasteringshow.com for anybody who want, listening who wants to check that out. And also a couple, I think there's uh, one in the US called Women's Audio Mission um, and also a site called soundgirls.org, which I think you said is more to do with live sound. Um, yeah. 
But we'll, we'll put those links out there because, I mean, it's just such a shame that what you're saying is the case, you know, because um, it shouldn't be like that. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I don't know. I think maybe I'm unusual. I've kind of worked with several female engineers over my career um, and, you know, they've just done a great job. So it's kind of, it's neither here nor there, but maybe it is better in mastering, actually. It's an interesting point that I hadn't considered is whether the whole, um, I certainly know that when I was involved with live sound back when I was at college, you know, that was almost exclusively a male thing. And also there, there was a lot of really macho stuff going on in that <laughs> environment, you know, the kind of, you know, just lots of heavy drinking and, you know, all, all the rest of it, the kind of the stereotypes um, of, you know, the kind of the roadies and, and all of that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's just so weird, like working at the audio school when you've got 18 year old boys coming up to you and going, um, is the engineering? And I'm like, yeah, it's me. <laughs> and they just stare at you. You know, they've learned that from somewhere. That That's not, yeah. you know, gender shouldn't come into anything. It, that's been learned. So I think it's really important that men see talented women doing what they're amazing at from a really young age so that it just becomes completely normal. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, John, what's the, what's the scene like where you are? When I went to recording college, there were, I think there were three women in my class. And as far as I know, none of them are working in the industry now. We didn't have any female instructors. That's really sad. Yeah. So there was, I think about 60 students, which that, you know, by, by term three, that was about 30. And I uh, the the women were still there. Yeah, uh, none of them are still working. I think they're interested in music still, but as far as I know, they're not. You know, they're not taking engineering jobs and stuff like that. No, I mean it's interesting that in the uh, just. I was just thinking of kind of the. I know a lot of female music teachers, instrumental teachers, especially on the classical side. Um, kind of recently, I've reconnected with some of the, the, the music education kind of circles from from when I was a kid um and there's a lot of women still working there but yeah that tends to be more on the performance side than in the engineering side um it seems really traditional to have have uh, women being singing teachers coaches and piano uh, tutors and things like that and men are, are the guitar teachers and live sound teachers and things like that yeah, it's, I mean, it is, I mean, you're actually right, Katie, though. I mean, it's, all of this stuff gets learnt somewhere. And I mean, I think the scary stuff is how early it gets learnt. I mean, even outside of the music industry and all the rest of it. I just, I saw something recently about um, a woman who, uh, whose little girl had not wanted to wear her Star Wars costume to the dress-up day at school um, because she thought she was going to get teased. Um, and there was this kind of huge outpouring of support from female Star Wars fans and sci-fi fans um, on the net. Um, and I think she did eventually wear it to school. And I think she had a, a great experience, which is, that's a kind of positive thing. But I mean, she, I think she was maybe seven or eight, you know, so to have already got those stereotypes instilled at that early age. I mean, it's, it's kind of scary how it happens 
you know, without any of us meaning to. I mean, I have friends um, in the community, you know, who who have girls who are absolutely adamant that their their girls can be whatever they want to be. But already the the kind of pink and princesses and unicorns and all of those cliches are, are taking hold. And it, yeah. I, I guess, you know, the the whole audio thing just, I mean, you know, I think there's a there's obviously a barrier to entry for women in every industry. You know, we is it Iceland who've just voted to have equal pay for women by law, I think, and it, that's like the first place in the world, um, which is ridiculous. That <laughs> um, that the, the, there should only be one place where that's the case, and that that should even have to be a thing. Um, but yeah, it's. I think maybe even in the music industry, it. I guess there are probably other professions like maybe the military and you know some other kind of traditionally, even more traditionally male stereotypical places where this kind of stuff is a problem. But I mean, it's great to hear that there are positive things happening though. Cause I think there's something in the AS as well as Katie, where they're kind of taking proactive action on this. Yeah. The AES are doing um, the he for she campaign. And so they're getting signatures uh, for support, which is amazing. And also um, Mariana Lopez is now kind of doing her thing in the AES and she's really, really, supporting women she's getting um a lot of women involved i was at the up your output event last weekend the weekend before um i can't remember (laughs) it's been a long week and (laughs) she um she had me doing a mastering workshop she had marta saloni doing a mixing workshop she had i think she had three other women doing workshops as well uh, I'm not entirely sure, but I think there were more women than men running workshops at that event. I mean, I think that's the other thing that seems crazy to me is that women are good at this stuff. You know, in my experience, women tend to have really good hearing, which is kind of prerequisite <laughs> number one for working in the audio industry. And there are some amazing names. You know, I mean, um, Sylvia Massey was on the podcast ages ago, and I'd love to get Mandy Parnell on the show, hopefully sometime soon, to talk to her as well. Um you know, so yeah, it's it, it's. I think we all agree it's crazy that this situation exists at all, and it's it's great to see that there's some progress, but there's obviously still a long way to go. Katie, for the past few years, um, I've noticed that you've been working. I think from from your home doing mastering. Is there any equipment that you rely on for that or recommend for that? Good acoustics, good monitors. I was really lucky enough to um, to have a really good sounding room. And so for me, that's the number one. And number two is monitors. I don't really believe in fancy gear or, well, I I don't really believe in spending all of your money on gear. Um, I think the room and monitors, they're necessary. Everything else is um, not. (laughs) (laughs) I actually, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, and I think probably John does as well. Yes, exactly. You were telling me just before we uh, started recording that you've just signed the lease on a studio, right? I have. Yeah, that's very exciting. Um, can't wait to move my gear in. So, yeah. Proper, Onwards and upwards. mastering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no more home set up. It'll be nice. It'll be nice to be able to bring people to the studio. Attended mastering is not something I have done much of or I'm interested in, but 
Um, I think for doing DDPs and getting the spacing right, you know, that's a really nice thing to do. So maybe for that kind of, that part of mastering, it'd be nice to invite people down to have their input. I really enjoy attended mastering. It is much more tiring. Um, just, you know, the, the kind of the energy level, the whole, you're you kind of the people skills and, uh, you know, expectation management and all this kind of stuff uh, comes into play. So it brings a whole extra dimension, but there's definitely, it's it's a great thing being able to interact directly with the artist. You know, I mean, I'm getting pretty good now at doing this stuff long distance, just because that's the way we have to work these days a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, I really, it's it's great to actually shake somebody's hand, you know, and look them in the eye and... yeah. Um, that's cool make I think for connection me, with people I'm too nice if someone asks for more bass I'll continue giving them more bass until the track is entirely bass like I I feel like <laughs> I feel like with someone else there I can't say no to them when they ask for something and they don't necessarily know my monitoring well so they might be asking for something which doesn't sound good reference tracks yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm just too much of a people pleaser. I I want the best for everyone's music that I work on. And I don't feel I can give it to them. You just need to remember that you know best. You're the mastering engineer. People have come for your opinion. So, I mean, if you want the best for the music, there has to be a point where you say to them, I don't think that's going to work that well. And yeah, a reference track. I mean, it might even be worth getting people to bring in their own reference tracks so that they can... This is something that I never used to do. Um, at the time when I did more, many more attended sessions, you know, I was working for SRT, the mastering, the company. So I was just in the studio meeting clients, doing the work, and everything else was booked by the office. So, But mm. I think these days... Um, I mean, I tend to ask people for references more anyway, just to get an idea... Well, mainly to avoid them wanting super loud stuff and me not being wanting to deliver that for them. But um, yeah, especially if you're bringing people into an unfamiliar monitoring environment, um, yeah, for them to hear stuff that they know and just get a sense of how it sounds, that could be really valuable. So you'll you'll figure it out. It's like everything else. You you give it a go and you improve. Absolutely. Although I need to get used to my room first, <laughs> definitely before I bring anyone in. Um, yeah, you've got I that whole learning curve thing. of acoustic treatment and monitor placement and all that stuff to come. You know what? I'm actually really looking forward to that bit. That's, I enjoy um, that. It's, that's something uh, that fascinates me. Yeah. It's always good fun. Like you can make a room sound so different by moving something half a centimetre. It's mm. nuts. It's amazing. It's incredible. It is. The whole thing is amazing, incredible. That's why we do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so Katie, as somebody, as a, as a self-made mastering engineer, um, I thought we could finish up with maybe, um, I like to have a mastering maxim at the end of the podcast where I give somebody a kind of a Ooh. nugget, a kernel of wisdom that they can take away. And I wondered if there's anything that you would, I'm springing this on you, but that you could suggest to people who are interested in getting into mastering motivational or helpful that you can say that might get them headed in the right direction? Always use ear protection would be my number one advice. When you go, go to, to gigs, gigs and stuff, yeah. Go to so many gigs, go to all of the gigs. Like that's such a good way of, you know, just being part of a scene. Um, but yeah, make sure you wear ear protection 
because you still want to be doing this in like 20 years time, don't you? That is great advice. Now, now this is something that I'm <laughs> guilty of because I, 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 do you have, um, what do you have in terms of ear protection? You just got foam earplugs or have you got the kind of the custom made molded jobs or do you do what I do, which is stuffed bits of tissue paper in your ears? <laughs> which um, is not good enough, I everybody have... listening. No, it's not good enough. But yeah, I use the foam ones at the moment because they're easy, they're cheap. Anyone can get them. You know, you even go to some gigs and they hand them out, which is amazing. Mm. But um, yes, unfortunately, tiny, tiny little bits of plastic do not um, last for very long in a handbag. So I do not have custom molded ones <laughs> at the moment. Um, but when I do get some more... I can guarantee they'll be fluorescent and on string. So. Excellent. <laughs> Top tip. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, it's been great to have you on the show. Thank you for taking the time out. No worries. Thank you for having me. John, thanks for helping out as always and for editing and mixing the episodes. Thanks to Kaylee Law for letting us use his music. Please head over to themasteringshow.com forward slash review if you would like to leave us a four star five star rating (laughs) and if not then drop us an email and tell us why not so that we can fix it in the future and thanks for listening it's a slight tangent but that's something that bugs me in general is when People kind of moan about the results they get back from a mask. No, I don't want to go into that tangent. Scratch that. We're in the outro. <laughs> yes, <Come on>. yes, <laughs> absolutely. Katie's leaving us on all kinds of other tempting tangents. Um, okay, hang on. Rewind. What were you saying? Okay, yeah. Please don't edit that out. That's great. <laughs> <laughs>